Hi, I'm Danny Lebrecht, and this is Cookies for Breakfast, conversations with trusted voices in the field of children's media, technology, and early childhood development. Our first conversation was originally recorded in April 2021 with Howard Blumenthal. Howard might best be known for creating and producing the Peabody and Emmy Award-winning PBS series, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? Together, we discussed a proposed version of Instagram for children under the age of 13. It was in early development at the time and surrounded by controversy. I had a lot of questions, and Howard really helped me to think it out. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The adults are, are used to it will be separate from that my initial thought was it reminded me of the the story of the farmer that led in this the ill snake and nursed it back to health and the snake bit bit the farmer's hand and the farmer said why why did you bite me well you knew i was a snake and by the way uh, i'm really good at babysitting uh can i can i watch out for your kids too now that i've bit you the that space doesn't feel like the the right space to get into this next chapter of social media for children. I don't know how I feel about that. And I wanted to talk it out and learn and grow and just go through the process. So my first guest, uh, I think is a perfect guest. He's got roots, family roots that go all the way back to the, arguably the very first interactive kids TV show. He produced a program that brought uh, video games to the passive screen, where in the world is Carmen San Diego, the original. Um, he's working on a new project, Kids on Earth, that is, I think, about empathy and seeing, truly seeing the, the other, a series of conversations with kids from around the world and hearing about their daily lives and what they're thinking about and what they're experiencing and what they feel their future might, might be. Um, Howard's the type of person that doesn't just think about the next trend. I, I think he's thinking ahead to 2030 and beyond. Um, he's, he's the person I want to start this off with. So Howard, after that very long introduction, uh, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest. I, I think to get the ball rolling, I wanted to ask this question. Could you reflect on, on a moment or a key moment where you thought to yourself, this, this is how I'm going to communicate with children. It makes sense for me to use screens technology to share messages and help children to grow. Can you talk about why you went in this direction? I think it begins by working directly with kids in a small room. I don't think you think about television. I, I think I know that having conversations one-on-one -on -one in small groups saying, 
I have an idea. What do you think about, or what do you know about this? So among the things I'm doing now is helping kids of all ages understand that there's a whole world out there and that there are two and a half billion of them all within the zero to 18 range. And you don't really think about that. You think about the people in your neighborhood. You don't think about the people all over the world and the similarities and the differences and what you might learn and what you would tell them about your life and what they might, you might want to know about their lives and what you'd share. But the way you do that has very little to do with the medium. It has everything to do with making one-on-one contact and listening and not coming in with assumptions because your assumptions will always be gloriously wrong. So just tell me about, and when we're doing the Kids on Earth interviews, um, I always begin with tell me your name and tell me what you know about your name. And that immediately establishes the kid as a person with a unique place on earth. They know their story. And from there, you can go into the direction of parenting or your own country or pride or obstacles overcome or a grandfather or, and it goes on and on. But The idea of individual identity as the driver is something that you get as a result of having intimate conversations. It's not something that works as well with a large group of people on television or or in some other way, because nobody, there's too much noise. And and I'm nine years old. Who's going to listen to me? Well, I'm going to listen. And I try to. So Instagram, social media says they they hear these type of ideas and 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 something something that other um mentors have been telling me something i should be careful about is let, let's not speculate about something that hasn't happened yet we don't know what this new this new stage will be but it's giving me that same feeling that i had um years ago when i first read about young children becoming um influencers product influencers mm-hmm. and seeing these virtual reality TV-like playdates where very young children were playing with products and indirectly influencing their, their friends on the other side of the screen, the kids that were learning to trust and, and developing these real or a sense of real relationship through the screen. And I thought, well, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right. Um, and now it's so common. Um, people in children's media refer to children as brands. That kid is a great brand. She's going to sell a lot of product. And, and it's become a bit of a norm. And I know there's, I don't, I don't want to sound judgy. I know that those, those children's parents love them so much. I know that there's very, so many variations. And, and, but it's that, same, it's that same sense of something, something's about to happen. It's, and it's going to be subtle. And it's going to feel like it's not that big of a deal. Um, and when I hear you and others talking about truly listening to children and being present and creating these environments, like in the classroom, that should be safe and welcoming and accepting of everyone, a reflection of every child that walks in through the door. That's what I was taught in school. That's what we want our online um, platforms to be like. But where's, where's, that, where's that line of creating these safe spaces that can exist without that that manipulation, the um, the subtle forms of influence that aren't always that 
that great, that healthy. It's um, cookies for breakfast. I, I know you really want this cookie. I've got tons of data to prove that kids love cookies for breakfast, but that's that's not the best thing for them, but it it, it works. It can be sold. So where where do we go with that? I think we have to talk to the puppets. Um, there's a whole lot of puppets there, right? So yeah, good amount of puppets. So let's think about what a puppet is and what a puppet does. And let's compare that. And I'll make the transition to Martin Luther King Jr. Because there's a very strong connection. All right, let me explain. So when you design a character for storytelling purposes, you have to streamline it because a character is not a full multidimensional human being. So you pick traits and then you decide which traits are most marketable. You build a brand when you build Lamb Chop. You build a brand when you build other puppets. And you use that to emphasize certain characteristics, certain points, certain ideas, certain ways of looking at the world. And you do that by eliminating the others. You have to skinny it down. Otherwise, nobody's going to understand what that character is all about. So when we build a puppet, we add a voice to it. It's a non-human but almost human voice, right? Mm -hmm. And the puppet moves in certain ways, which means it doesn't move in other ways. So we have this very limited view of the world that is expressed by the puppet. Might be innocence, might be being a braggart, might be any number of different characteristics. But we do all of those things as humans. We're all braggarts. We're all um, you know, innocent. We're all this, we're all that. But in puppet land, we represent those traits in much more narrow bands so that we can make a point to storytellers. Now, we've done the same thing with Martin Luther King Jr., We've reduced the wide range of ideas that he had about poverty and freedom and justice. And, and we've reduced it to the I have a dream speech. We've reduced it to a few other key elements. And he has become a brand. He has become like a puppet. Now, I don't mean that in any derogatory way, but as you present ideas to the public, as a human being or as a puppet or as a toy, you have to limit the range of what that brand represents. And as you do, it becomes reductionist. Now that's a scary place to be when you come back to the social media piece. I'm not gonna represent all of me because there's a lot of things I don't want people to know about my life, which means I'm gonna be very selective. And who I become online may or may not be the person who I am, want to be, maybe it's somebody I don't want to be, but I'm creating a character online. That's a very sophisticated idea if you're a seven-year-old using Instagram for kids, because you're deciding who you want to be, and that's great from an identity point of view, but do you really want to make all that public that early and have it live forever on the internet? Because that's what you felt like doing at that time. You're seven years old. So how do you impress responsibility? How do you teach responsibility to that kid? And the answer is, it's easy. You'll let him grow up. And then he can make his own decisions when he's 14, 15, 16, 17, into 20s, whatever. But to require a seven-year-old to become a public figure is enormously unfair, unless 
that seven-year-old at any point in their life can erase anything that's been there. But there is no mechanical way to erase it. There's five rights in England and other movements that are that are heading in that direction. But the fact that I can do a screen capture of anything on the screen eliminates the possibility of erasure. So whatever I'm doing for my whole life, there it is. There's no version of social media or rules that allow us to control that, that allow the parent or the, or the kid or whatever to, to control it. That's really messy and really problematic and a contributor in some ways to mental health issues later on. Look what I did. I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a fool. I'm such a loser. I'm such a whatever. And the flip of that is, why can't I be like so-and-so? Because they're only showing those aspects. That's a lot of processing for a kid. So good luck, Facebook, in trying to figure this out. And by the way, whatever you're doing is global and it lasts forever. It's not like this is on your block. It's not like it's your few friends who you can go back and apologize to. It's the whole world forever. It's your permanent record. Okay, go. One would hope that those sort of challenges could be um, addressed and met in the adult world of social media when we think of Facebook, Facebook for adults and Instagram and Twitter. And, but they, ha they haven't figured out those, they haven't worked out those kinks yet. No. And in, in the past, with, and, and, and it's not just Facebook, there, there are many groups that are wanting to get into this this new demographic, this new audience, and and the idea of figuring it out with them doesn't seem fair. And again, we don't know what it will be. I I I know some. I I'm aware of some of the people that are working behind the scenes as as advisors, and there's and they've said there's very little information, but they are working on the inside to to address these sort of ideas, and that that is reassuring. But you do. Well, you sure do raise a lot of concerns that I think a lot of people are are sharing. Mentioning the puppets, it made me think of. Um, I use puppets as a as a communication tool, as many do. And this this guy, our our authoritarian leader Kingsley. Whenever I go into schools, that's where it all starts. I bring the puppets up slowly and say, "How do you think this puppet's feeling today?" And I listen. Kingsley, over the past eight years with many, many different kids evolved into the quote, bad guy, I'm the boss of you sort of character. But then there was this turn where he did become more complicated because I, I noticed that younger children in recent years and months become more aware of the adult world. They always are, little pictures have big ears, the old, that old wisdom, but um, the communication has changed. and. One little girl was saying, "Where's this? Where's Kingsley's mother? Why? Who's helping Kingsley? Kingsley should talk to his feelings doctor." Another child said, which was, so we we decided to go in that that direction, and and Kingsley became a lot more complicated because I think life is becoming a lot more complicated, and I like being one of the people that can provide a space to think in new ways and work out perspective, look at different perspectives. I hope that's what social media might be for kids. But at the same time, there's this other piece of me that says, why are we even looking at this? That we, we already know it's, it's why, why aren't we presenting kids with opportunities, like you were saying earlier, to learn how to use the tools responsibly without those types of risks? It is complicated. And 
there's this notion that kids can't handle complicated. And I don't think that's true. I, I, I think that just their own perception of the world, the neighborhood, their family, their dog, those are complicated beings. Kids are very capable of holding more than one idea in their head and having it be conflicting. They're also very capable of asking questions and accepting the idea that we really don't know the answer to that. And that sometimes really good ideas don't get to see the light of day or don't get the light of get to see the light of day for a long time. So we would not be getting coronavirus vaccinations if the the scientist from Hungary hadn't migrated to Pennsylvania and stuck with it, even though the funding for research and all of that was highly unlikely. And that's where the version of RNA, I think it's mRNA, um, uh, Evolved. That's what the basis of this vaccine is all about. Without her kind of fanning away, it's too complicated. Nobody's going to be interested and all that. She just stuck with it very stubbornly. And the reason why we have, we're going to end up beating this particular problem, and there have been others that, that this technology has been used for, that's not a story that an eight year old couldn't grasp. And yet, we don't tell those stories. We simplify them. We reduce them. And then we wonder why it is that political systems and all that are so binary. Well, it's because you took the complexity out of it in order to explain cowboys and Indians. Well, but that's not a thing. I know you made up a thing. I know Hollywood made up a thing. But the idea of Indians, when you start deconstructing that, so you have this explorer and he was under a lot of pressure in Spain, but the reason for the pressure in part was the Jews and the, uh, the money left that area in 1492, by the way. So now you've got an Eastern Europe story that is much affected by the Russians attacking village Cossacks and attacking villages, which then causes people to start moving towards the United States and building New York City. All of that's one story. Now, when we teach it as separate stories, we end up getting little pieces of it. We don't end up understanding what we need to understand. So unfortunately, it's nearly impossible for any human, at least right now, to absorb all that. It's just too much. And I'm interested in this and you're interested in that. So do we all need to learn the same thing? So I've been working on a book that says, I don't think we do. I think in the 21st century, we all need to learn different things in different ways because we all have different stories. We all have different places to begin. And when you think about it that way, then this sort of very black and white, very distinct, limited social media profile is not something that kids from the start would accept. It's like, well, but there's always other answers. There's always other ways of thinking about it. They're not telling me the whole story. I need to do my own work to investigate this. Now, that's very different from I need to ask my teacher, who may or may not know, who may not may or may not be trained. But when I grab onto something, I'm not doing anything that a nine-year-old isn't capable of doing as well. I simply want to know more about it. And there's this box that half the people on earth seem to have access to now that has those answers. Now, some of it's a little harder to understand, but we have artificial intelligence that can change the reading level. So 
let's do that. So, so I think we're not using the technology, but we're also not using parenting. We're not using teachers. We're not using peer-to-peer learning in ways that we are now equipped to do, but we're still very stuck in the 20th century and the way that we build rules and all that. We're not going to fill this out, figure this out by policy or by really limiting the way that kids are able to interact with social media. They're already interacting with social media. It, this is, in some ways, the conversation's silly. Sure, Instagram for kids. Kids are using Instagram anyway. So what is Instagram for kids? But you need to provide them with not the media literacy toolkit, but a knowledge and understanding toolkit that evolves over time that isn't caught up in the details of taking tests. We need to learn how to think clearly. And that's not where school is right now. But because we gather together so many students in schools, it's the most convenient place to help people understand is a very complicated world. And it isn't necessarily a scary world, but some of it's scary. But there's as much value in walking in the woods as there is doing a multiplication table. And we, we've lost that. And as we pull that back in to what learning needs to be, the whole social media question becomes, it's just an implementation. It's not, it's not the main thing. It has become the main. It's not the big tent at the circus. It's not that important. What's important is learning to think clearly so that you can process what you see on television, what you read in a book, what your friend tells you. We don't do that. We need to do that. We need to grow up, put our big boy pants on, and actually act like parents and as people who run a very large set of communities. We need to grow up. Sorry to preach. That's okay. When you talk about it, that was reassuring to me and a good reminder that the tool doesn't control us. It can trick us every once in a while, but but the larger picture of instead of just telling what what to think, the lecture approach, here's the strategy to achieve. If you want to learn about this, do this, 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 and this. There's the answer. It's the the guidance approach, the the how are you going to find the answers? And there can be ask or opening themes on includes uh, ask lots of questions and find different answers. Or ask lots of questions and accept that you don't have all the answers. Because a lot of the questions that we ask, I don't know the, there's no way to find out the answer. There is no good answer. We have to make it up. Well, how do we do that? We've been doing that forever. <laughs> this is not like a new idea. It's like if you, if you don't have enough room in your house and you're in a very early stage of human development, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, and there's a hill on one side and there's water on the other, the only thing you really can do is go up. Well, how are they going to get up? I don't know how we're going to get up. Um, we could try to climb up. Well, that ain't going to work. Well, what if we have like a stick and we climb along the stick? Oh, the stick broke. Well, maybe if we have a stronger stick, we could try that. And, and eventually you go, oh, you put two sticks parallel and then you put steps on the sticks and, you, and then you can get to the top. And then somebody else says, cool, that's a great idea. That's a great solution. Now, what do we do up there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, we could build a fire. So, okay. Oh, we built the house. We burned the whole house down. We don't want to build fires on the second floor anymore. Let's not do that. We could sleep up there. Yeah. But if it rains, hmm. Well, you know, we could do another of those roof things. The roofs work. Yeah. But what if we have to clean it out? Oh, yeah. Hmm. We need windows or something. 
And, and, and we're really good at that. We're really good at, at figuring out like, this is the problem. How do we solve it? And there'll be times like, well, what if we keep on building the thing higher and higher and it keeps falling down and we don't know what to do. It's like, for now, don't build it higher and higher. At some point, some dude's going to figure out how to build a skyscraper. But you know what? You're not going to do it. Just, it's fine. You got up to three stories. That's a huge accomplishment. Good for you. Maybe your grandchildren. It's okay not to know. It really is. It's awfully reassuring as well. It makes me think of my um, my days. I worked at the Field Museum natural history in Chicago for a long time in the education department. And the folks in anthropology had um, this idea that they loved talking about common concern, different response. As human beings, we all have the, pretty much the same types of common concerns, shelter, clothing, food. And then we have different responses based upon our, our environments, you know, snowy place, hot place, it'll affect all of those things in the center. And once we have those, then these big why questions start popping up where, why, how did it happen? When is it going to happen? And the same kind of concern, different response cycle happens again, like a, like a dartboard, you know, it just keeps growing out and out. And we end up with these amazing different, different things in our culture and belief systems and non-beliefs philosophies, all, all these great things, but it's all very human. And I always loved that idea because it, it, so often lately, it feels like you're either on this team, you're on this team. And if you have a different thought, you know, but there's room, there's, there's room for all, all of us to work it out. And, and ultimately as human beings go up, go down, go sideways, whatever. So what, I don't even know if this is going to be a good question anymore. I'm still going to ask it. What, what do you think of as, as a, if not an ideal, but a, a potential next step that you're looking forward to with, in, in how we're using our, our tools with kids and not just these tools, but tools of the communication tools in general, whether it's a puppet or a stick or a screen or who knows what comes next. What's, what's something hopeful? What's something that feels like, oh, this is, this is the way to keep moving forward safely or is being unsafe sometimes just part of the process that we have to accept? No, I think it's ask big questions. So one of the questions when I talk to kids is, we eat animals, but we get upset if they eat us. That doesn't seem fair. Why do we do that? Why do we do what? Why do we eat animals? It's like, because they taste good. It's like, okay, I'm sure we taste good too, but that isn't necessarily a good justification. So we're in this, we're on this planet, right? And you have all of this plant life. And somebody says, why don't we just eat the animals? It's like, dude, slow down. You see all those plants, you might want to start there. The animals seem to be eating the plants. Some of them are eating one another too. I get that. But what if we just don't do that? And then somebody else comes along and says, well, so why don't we not only eat animals, we'll have the animals make more animals so we can have even more animals to eat. It's like, no, wait a second. You see all those plants? Like we have the solution. We don't necessarily have to make the world more complicated we could ask the question, is it possible to live on the plants and not eat the animals? Most kids are like, yeah, that would be good because then we wouldn't eat animals. And like, that's what I was thinking because then we wouldn't eat animals. And then what would happen? Well, then there wouldn't be like the cattle industry. Okay, yeah, that's true. Some people could lose their jobs, but are there other things we could eat? And 
is that okay? And is there a way to do that without having people starve? Because we're going to have to feed a lot more people now because there's going to be more people on the planet. There are? Yeah, there are. Are there more people now than there were before? Yeah. Well, how did we feed them? Largely plants. And then we fed those plants to the animals to make bigger animals. And then we ate those animals, but we don't have to have the middleman in there, the middle animal. We could just go for the plants. I'm not a vegetarian, but I think being a vegetarian is probably a pretty good idea. It's also healthier. So if we can take those kinds of why questions that certainly kids are very famous for asking and take them seriously, go, yeah, you know what? Why do we eat animals? It just as one of how many different, you know, why do we live so far away from our families so we need cars that pollute in order to get there? What if we live closer to our families? Well, then we wouldn't be able to work with them. It's like, yeah, have you been through the pandemic? Because it seems to me you can work anywhere now. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah, well, what if other things were different? Well, how do you figure that out? You talk to each other and you ask big questions. Social media, hmm, good way to ask lots of people lots of questions. We have a great tool and it's boundless. And it's global. So why are we using it for petty little nonsense? We've got a 21st century that's really complicated. And we have the tool to be able to deal with it because we can all talk to one another and show people things massively. That's what this was designed for. Somewhere along the way, we decided, you know what, we really need to be able to make this into Amazon. It's not the point. It's nice to have a big general store that has everything in the world. It's great. It's terrific. But the idea of being able to communicate with one another and to be able to share ideas on a massive scale and have that be totally normal and be able to do it through AI or video or audio or text or whatever is magic. It's one of the greatest gifts the human race has ever figured out. As parents, we probably need to be paying some attention to that. As teachers, we do too. The kids kind of get it, but we're moving them away from the good idea. Please, let's not do that. I like your manners, Howard. <laughs> Please, let's not please. Um, well, you've given me even more to think about as a parent and a caregiver, a teacher and a media maker. And I'm really thankful. And I'm sure other people on the other side of the screen are thankful too. Um, I wanted to kick this all off with a very specific um, question. Of course, that leads to more questions. And that's good food. That's good food. Almost as good as plants. Um, so, I'm trying to be clever. I don't need to be. Uh, I knew you were going to get the plants thing in there at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Howard. Thank you very much for spending this time with us. More conversations are coming, friends. Keep asking those why questions. See you later. Mm -hmm.